Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, and welcome to This Week Explained. I am Tiana. And I'm Kervin. And today we will be discussing the big geopolitical events of the week. And there are a ton of those to get through. So. Yes, but I want to say first, welcome back, Tiana. Thank you. How are you feeling? Marginal. <laughs> At best. Yeah, but you know, I'm here. But that's every it. day for we, yeah. everybody. <laughs> no, no, that's not true. We had a pretty good day. It's just you know, stuff. just yeah, yeah, just things happening. Yeah. But anyways, I'm fine. I feel I got a lot of rest and I'm refreshed. So let's just skip this part and get right into the story. So what's, All right. what's on your radar this week? All right. Obviously, uh, Russia, Ukraine. Uh, we are going to talk North Korean troops going to Russia, possibly um, staying in Russia. You know, we're going to talk about the uh, Iranian drones. Did they get them? What are they doing? What's going on? Uh, after that, we'll move over to, to China to talk about Taiwan and more American diplomats going out there. Also, Turkey's begun an offensive against uh, the Kurdish group that they consider terrorists. We have Israel, who condemned uh, possible Iran nuclear re-agreement with the U.S. We'll get into the Kenya elections and the geopolitical implications there. And then we are going to discuss... The FBI raid on Mar-a-Lago. Uh-oh. I know okay. people are waiting for it. Yeah. So. <laughs> so what is the big news coming out of the war in Ukraine? All right, well, let's start with the bad news for Ukraine, and then we'll get into the bad news for Russia. <laughs> uh, okay. So first, um, so Russia continues their offensive against Odessa. Um, that's killed four people in a strike this week that Russia used anti-ship missiles. Um, as well, Belarus has allowed Russian jets to fly in its airspace to eliminate targets in Zhytomyr, uh, which is a city 140 kilometers west of Kiev. Um, now, Russia is also targeting Ukraine's second largest city, uh, Kharkiv, which uh, Russia is expanding those attacks to northern Ukraine. And what looks like a little different from what they're doing in that southeast region, they're trying to surround Kiev again. What has Ukraine's military done to combat these attacks? Uh, well, first, they have not given up positions in those regions, so that's important to note. Um, also, Ukraine continues to attack Crimea with munitions that no one is confirming what the munitions are or what mm -hmm. the attack is. Uh, so oh. as I spoke last week, Ukraine targeted a Russian military installation in the Russian-controlled port city that is outside of range of missiles that Ukraine is known to have or known to have been provided. Okay. And then this week, Ukraine targeted an, a Russian ammunition depot that wounded two people. Um, 
Russia continues to deny the reports that Ukrainian military carried out the attacks. And Ukraine has yet to take responsibility for these attacks, stating only if they had carried out the attacks, they would have been carried out by special operation forces from within Crimea. Crimea. So why won't they confirm the attacks? Um, So, as I mentioned, um, an attack on Crimea would mean that Ukraine either has a weapon that has not been released to the public, or they have personnel within Crimea that Russia does not know about. So in both cases, uh, it's a strategic advantage to not release that information and keep uh, the Russian military off guard. Uh, For the first few months of fighting, Russian military forces could focus on the front lines within Ukraine. But now um, strategic and tactical planners for the Russian military are going to need to spend some time focusing on protecting their assets within Crimea. Anything else going on in the war in Ukraine that we should discuss? Uh, Yeah, uh, real quick, the fighting continues in Donbass, where Russia is launching projectiles at a rate of 800 times a day. Yikes. Um, Yeah, that's a a lot. Uh, That is so many. Yeah, it's they, and they're also focusing on pushing Ukrainian troops out of Donetsk, which is one of the true two regions that make up Donbass, um, since the other region of Luhansk is under Russian control. Now, with that said, Ukraine's defense intelligence has hinted that they are going to start a long-awaited counteroffensive to retake territory lost to Russia, and that's going to start pretty soon. So we're going to see how that plays out over the next few months and see what happens there. There's no doubt in my mind that we will keep talking about that counteroffensive. And yes. with that bit of information, what is the latest on North Korea and Russia, What their relationship, what's going on? All right. So this week, uh, the head of Russian proxy forces in that same region, Donetsk, uh, sent a message to North Korean leader Kim Jong-un calling for cooperation amid signs North Korea is considered sending at the very least, laborers for restoration projects in Russian-occupied regions of Ukraine. Um, North Korea last month became one of the few nations in the world to recognize the independence of Donetsk and Luhansk. Uh, That prompted Ukraine to cut off diplomatic ties with that country. I'm so shocked that they recognize the independence. (laughs) I'm, I'm shocked. Would North Korea, um, by the way, that's sarcasm for those who don't pick up on it. Um, would North Korea benefit by sending workers to those Russian-occupied locations? And then I have another real interesting question. Would North Korean restoration workers actually be military operatives? Okay, wow. So two really good questions. I mean, think um, about it. Yeah. yeah, very good points. So I'm going to tackle the first one because the, you know... The second one, we're going to have a lot to unpack there. But okay. first one's an easy one. So at the micro level, um, North Korea is going to benefit economically by sending workers to those locations. At least in the short term. Short term, yes. Yeah. That would be, uh, as the, the Kim regime, they would basically receive those funds and the workers would make very little. Of course. Right. Now, Kim would then use that money to improve the government's economic situation as well as their military situation. Um, Now, where it's going to hurt the country is in their global standing, which already isn't on great footing. Um, Not that Kim cares about what the UN thinks of North Korea. (laughs) Yeah. but He's um, his own person. Yeah, and, and we are already seeing both countries get called out. The U.S. State Department spokesman, Ned Price, 
uh, criticized the plan by saying that such arrangements would be, quote, an affront to sovereignty of Ukraine. Now, with all that said, so Russia has used North Korean workers for years to basically do all the difficult labor within Russia. Um, So it's not surprising that they would request more laborers for those recently controlled Ukrainian regions. What do you know? That's what North Korea uses their laborers for all the hard stuff. And then they reap the benefits. And then the people who actually did the work don't. And suffer. Yeah, and suffer. Okay. Anyways, so it's not unprecedented. Nope, it's not. (laughs) Now... Can we discuss the, that other question and what the implications would be if it did turn out that they were using military operatives? Yeah, let's get into that because um, it yeah. is very interesting. Um, at the time that Russia requested laborers for those controlled regions, a report was released that North Korea could send 100,000 troops to fight in Ukraine. Um, sending military to help Russia in the war in Ukraine would um Definitely inject North Korea into the war in Ukraine, which is going to put more sanctions on the already very poor country. Mm-hmm. So um, your your question or theory is actually what I believe the international community should be discussing. Yeah. Saying um, that they wanted laborers, but actually getting exactly because soldiers. Yeah. It would be more beneficial to send I'm using quotes here. You know, yeah. we don't use videos. So no one can see me. Yeah. Uh, quote, laborers to Russia and then uh, possibly carry out a false flag attack on those laborers. (gasps) Oh, yeah. Which, and I hope I'm not giving anybody ideas, but But it it just seems like a plausible. If it it does happen that way, you can say you. Right. You thought it was a possibility. And and that's going to justify North Korea's entry into the war. Mm. Um, Like I was saying, I haven't seen it considered yet. I hope. No one is is thinking about that. Um, but I honestly, you hit on something there uh, when you wanted to talk about that. And so I think more research should be done. Well, I mean, it's the timings kind of. Yeah, it, uh, and definitely when you're doing, uh, you know, when, when you're, you're doing analysis on that stuff, the timing needs to be taken into account. Yeah, on, they don't need to be bringing. Well, never mind. Okay. Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> that that was about to. I was just about to go down a rabbit hole, and then I wasn't going to shut up, and then we weren't going to get to the rest of the stuff. So let's get to the rest of the stuff. All right. <laughs> it sounds like you can just do the research, keep up with what's going on with that, and you know, obviously, if it turns out that that's actually what they're doing, then we'll hear about it. Oh, it'll be and in the news. You guys, yeah, you guys will in turn hear about it, but. We need to move on to the Iranian drones. All right. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah. Um, So there's a lot to talk about with Iran helping Russia in its war on Ukraine. Um, But we're going to talk about the drones right now. So right now, the United States believes that Russian officials visited an airfield in Iran recently to view attack-capable drones. Um, Well, Iran's foreign minister denied it, but the, the U.S. has recently released satellite images of it so uh, the u.s Uh says that they believe russian officials trained in iran in recent weeks as part of an agreement on the transfer of drones between the two countries now iran is having its own issues that we're going to get into later with its nuclear agreement and providing drones to russia will not be viewed in a positive light for a country dealing with you know droughts economic collapse all that kind of stuff Okay, well, we'll table this discussion because 
We need to get into what is going on in Taiwan after Nancy Pelosi returned to the U.S. after her trip that she just decided she had to go on right now. Right, yeah. And For uh, what? What was she promoting even? It's So it is very confusing. Um, and I won't go too far down the rabbit hole because she said she was promoting diplomatic and economic ties with Taiwan. However, she was still... She had still said that she supports the one China policy and that China is actually one of the freest nations in the world. This is a comment she made to MSNBC two weeks ago, right after her trip. Yeah. Um, So that was confusing. But let's get into uh, to what's going on now, uh, because we do remain on the brink of war due to these tit for tat actions by the U.S. and China. I'm going to call both of them out for doing this kind of stuff. Um, So this week, members of a new U.S. congressional delegation met with the island of Taiwan's president, um, and China announced more military drills in retaliation. So as we are recording this podcast right now, the Taiwan Defense Forces have detected 51 Chinese aircraft and six ships surrounding the small island nation. Now, as big drill. Yeah, yeah, there is. It's a lot and they are surrounding it. so Tiny uh, that's, little island. Yeah. yeah, that's concerning. Um, now, as we've discussed many times, China accuses the U.S. of encouraging Taiwan's independence. Um, and the U.S. continues to say it does not support independence, has no formal diplomatic ties with the island, and maintains that the two, ta- the two sides should settle their dispute peacefully while continuing to interact with the island's government outside of talks with China. What has the U.S. said is the purpose of this new delegation, though? All right. Now, the claim is they will meet senior leaders to discuss U.S.-Taiwan relations, regional security, trade, investment, and other issues. Now, I'm sure there's going to be more on this for next week, uh, you know, as China is already ramping up its military forces around the island. Well, I have no doubt that we're going to continue discussing this topic. So let's move on to Syria and talk about Turkey's actions along the border of that country. All right, let's do that. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. So um, now, uh, I know you remember, if everybody else remembers, when Sweden and Finland were negotiating to become NATO members, mm-hmm. uh, Turkey initially opposed Sweden's entry because of its perceived support of a Kurdish terrorist organization active along the border of Turkey. I do remember that. And Sweden had to change course to actively pursue the Kurdish people who were seeking haven in the country, right? Right, or at least show that they're going to do that, um, (laughs) whether they do or not, privately. Um, But now, Turkey is ramping up an offensive against that militant group. So Syrian regime forces have deployed in areas controlled by Kurdish fighters near the border (laughs) with Turkey as part of agreements uh, intended to stem cross-border offensives by Ankara, which is the Syrian forces, that are targeting Kurdish forces it views as terrorists. Now, as well, um, a Turkish airstrike killed 11 along the border in a region controlled by the Kurds. Um, And as part of the escalation, Kurdish forces struck inside Turkish territory, actually killing one soldier. Do you have any information on these 
Kurdish forces? Uh, yeah, I'll get a quick background on them. Uh, and also why Turkey is fighting to move them out of that area near its border with Syria. So first, uh, the group is the Syrian Democratic Forces, uh, SDF, which is led by the People's Protection Units, also known as the YPG. That doesn't match up. No, yeah, it does. It does not. But it, in the Kurdish language, it would it would match. Okay, up. I, I wanted to hear you speak Kurdish, oh, but okay, I don't. It's okay. Uh, no, I I don't have it pulled up right now. Sorry, guys. <laughs> it's okay. I just wanted to put you on the spot. All <laughs> no right. worries. Continue. <laughs> uh, so the SDF states its mission is to create a secular, democratic, and federalized Syria. Uh, but according to Turkey, the Syrian Democratic Forces uh, has those direct links to the PKK. And who are the PKK? Oh, the PKK is the Kurdistan Workers' Party, um, which is a... I'm not liking the, these <laughs> acronyms. <laughs> <laughs> they don't match up. All right, for next week, I'll I'll have the uh, I'll have it. No, in the because language. then I'll probably then I'll probably have to pronounce them out loud, and I'll just embarrass myself. You're the okay. linguist, and that's why it's fun hearing you say that stuff. I <laughs> no, it's okay. I'm it's fine. All right. Well, um, I'm done complaining. I love it when you complain, though. <laughs> Keep that in mind. <laughs> Keep that in mind whenever this is turned off and I'm <laughs> complaining about something that you think is trivial. All right. <laughs> so let's move on to the Kurdistan Workers Party, the PKK, mm. which is a militant political organization and an armed guerrilla movement. They have historically operated throughout Kurdistan. But right now they're primarily based in the mountainous uh, Kurdish majority regions of southeastern Turkey and northern Iraq. Uh, which explains why Turkey is so adamant about getting them out of the region. So the the interesting thing is that these forces, like the SDF, they're actually backed by the U.S. military to fight ISIS, as well as um, U.S. forces helping the Kurds gain ground in northern Iraq. Um, right now, the U.S. has not said much about Turkey's attacks on this group. Um, so it's going to be interesting how this plays out if conflict in the region does get out of control. So <clears throat> then staying in the Middle East, let's get back to Iran and talk about the always hot button issue of Iran's nuclear agreement. I don't even know why I'm going to ask this, but um, <laughs> anything new pop up? <laughs> You're asking it for those that Aren't may not aware. be tracking things and and good good for your mental health for those people that aren't in this yeah. on a day to day basis. Because uh, it's a lot Stop to get the into. Doom scroll. Yeah, lots of geopolitical implications on this. So this week, an Iranian negotiating team uh, said that they are closer than ever to securing a deal uh, for the Iran nuclear deal and that the remaining issues are not very difficult to resolve. So the Biden administration says it is ready to sign a deal quickly if Iran does accept the deal. And the current hurdles to jump remain. These are these are those hurdles. Uh, the <laughs> fact that Iran wants the Biden administration to remove its Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps from its designated terrorist list. I'll uh, come out and say I'm going to caution against that. But we both know okay. no one listens to me. So <laughs> not going to mean me. anything. Just, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> um, it also wants a guarantee that the deal will be binding regardless of future U.S. administrations. Um, I call that the Trump effect. Uh, as he canceled the agreement while he was in office. Yeah, he canceled all kinds of things when he was yeah. in office. Yes. Um, 
The third stipulation um, is the long-running investigation by the International Atomic Energy Agency, the IAEA. Um, and I just tracked that, and yes, that acronym checks out. Yep, you can uh, continue. That one's in English. I um, yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. So that uh, that agency has been tracing um, the amounts of uranium that are found at three of Iran's undeclared nuclear sites from several years ago. Oh, okay. So, why, so now, Iran is stating publicly that these issues will be easy to resolve. The fact is all three are either impossible to agree to or, what's worse, would have catastrophic geopolitical ramifications. Like, how can you ask to say, regardless of what future administrations want to do, it has to stay in place. That's what makes that one um, impossible because the Biden administration cannot do that. There is there is yeah. no legal binding to make it uh, for all administrations Just, for for because that would mean Iran could do whatever permanently. and yeah they would have no repercussion. Exactly. Okay. Well. I would think that there were there would be all kinds of catastrophic geopolitical ramifications from yes. agreeing to all that, um, because Israel can't be too happy about these renewed talks, right? Oh, they are not. Um, and as you know, Israel's going through their own government overhaul. Um, yeah. And and once again, I just want to reiterate that this is not me saying it. Iran has publicly called for the complete destruction of the state of Israel. Um, that has all Israelis worried, and they're worried because if Iran would gain access to nuclear capabilities while also developing intercontinental ballistic missiles and possibly hypersonic missiles, that's going to be devastating to the country of Israel and how they protect their people. So more to follow as talks continue. Well, hopefully there's better news for all that are involved but we need to move on to the Kenyan elections, a country you have been to and enjoyed very much. Oh, yes. I uh, love Kenya. As a lover of animals, it is an amazing country to visit. I always tell people who enjoy wildlife that that is the country to go to. But don't go right now because that country recently <laughs> went through a harshly contested election that saw Kenya's deputy president, uh, which is kind of like their vice president. His name yeah. is uh, William Ruto. He was elected as the country's next president with 50.49% of the vote, um, and his opponent staged a press conference to dispute the official results. I feel like everybody disputes the official results these days. Uh, yes, know? there has been a they're precedent set somewhere. Yeah, they're somewhere in a country we shall not mention, but we'll be discussing later. Possibly, yes, anyway. that possibly might happen. <laughs> Do you have any information on William Ruto? Yeah, so he's, like I said, he's currently the deputy president or the vice president. Um, and this is not the first time his election has been called into question. So in 2017, he and President Uhuru Kenyatta won an election that was then nullified by the Supreme Court of Kenya and a new election established, which uh, was then boycotted by those two individuals' opposition candidates. And the two were elected by a total of 98% of the vote which is easy to do when you have no opposition. Yeah. I wonder uh, what the la the other 2% was. Yeah, that would be interesting to Cause find there were out. Because there's another 2% of voters out there. Exactly. Um, okay, anyway. And they voted for somebody. But yeah. this time, his opponent, uh, Kenyan politician Aurea Odinga, 
rejected the results as a travesty. He also warned a long legal crisis facing Kenya's democracy. Now, I've heard all this. Yes, in many, <laughs> many elections recently. Many recently. elections recently, yes. Um, and as we've mentioned before, it's not even the first time a Kenyan election has been questioned. Um, that's the main reason why it could become a geopolitical crisis. Uh, there, there is hope. So there's some hope that the country can avoid a similar crisis to what followed disputed polls in 2007, uh, which actually killed 1,200 people. Um, and then oh, gosh. the contested election in 2017 killed 100 more people. Um, so say again, it's going to be more to follow on this election as that legal battle starts and more information gets released. When you say killed, was it protests or something? Yes, How protesters and um, you know security forces run by the government. Oh, okay. Cracking okay, well. down on... <sighs> Well, now we appear to be moving from contested elections in Kenya to an interesting development in the United States of America. And I am not sure where this is going to take us, but I'll let you explain it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's discuss. I'm going to try to keep as much as my, of my personal opinion out of this as possible. We but, both will. I, I and promise the, and everybody. The, but the, come on. We're not very good at that. Let's be honest. <laughs> Let's discuss the recent raid on Mar-a-Lago and former President Donald J. Trump's residence. All right. So as Tiana was alluding, we're, mm -hmm. we typically try to stay out of politics, you know, or at least domestic political fighting. Um, and that's mm. not because I don't keep track of it, but it's because it typically has nothing to do with what is happening. But it's more of, you know how to get elected or reelected. Everybody's doing their reelection campaigns the moment they get elected in the U.S. Um, mm -hmm. But the reason this is part of the podcast, it's because I don't think that this is, or I have not seen that this is political. Um, now, some people are going to disagree with me there, and everybody has a right to disagree with me. And if you want to contact us and show uh, what you have seen that makes you think this is strictly political, please yeah. send that. Um, what what yeah. is interesting to me is that it deals with classified document or, you know, declassified documents, depending on who you speak with. Yeah. But it also deals with the intelligence community as a whole. Um, so this week, this is the story for History's Mysteries. Yeah. Because this, this will go down in history. <laughs> it will. Um, what we are discussing, yeah. these current actions, this is an historical event. We are truly living in a wild time. And as I have said many times, I'm getting tired of living <laughs> during all of these historical events. You say that probably it's once exhausting. a week to me. <laughs> it's exhausting. It is. Um, and I would agree with you. I am tired of living through them too. Let's, let's have a break, guys. But we're going to be here every step of the way. We're going to explain these events and hopefully we can ease some of the fears people may have. Um, so what we won't discuss are the many conspiracy theories coming out from all angles of this. Man. Uh, yep. Not doing it. We're, I mean, not doing it on this podcast. You want to talk not to me about one. conspiracy theories? I'll, we'll have a fun, good time. But for this, we're just going to get right to the facts. Yeah, get to the facts. So the first fact and the main fact remains that the FBI executed a warrant on the former president's residence. And what were they trying to find? 
All right. So the warrant, which was released, states the property to be seized as, and here's the quote from um, the actual warrant. From the actual warrant. Thank you. Uh, All physical documents and records constituting evidence, contraband, fruits of crime, or other illegally possessed documents to include documents with classification markings, information regarding the retrieval, storage, or transmission of national defense information, as well as a broad group of any records created between when Trump was sworn in as president until he transferred authority to current president, Joe Biden. Fruits of crime. Fruits of crime. Do you know what a fruit of crime is? It's sort of like a data point of a crime. So it's okay. not proving that expect- a crime <laughs> exists. I wasn't expecting you to actually know. I was trying to see if you were on the same boat as I was. So I could be like, that's okay. We'll look it up another time. And it's talk a fruit of crime. Podcast. <laughs> it's a fruit of crime. It's a okay, banana. Well- <laughs> oh, God. Banana. No. There we go. Uh, yeah. So what were they really looking for? What do they want to charge him with? All right, so it appears that the FBI is investigating Donald Trump for a potential violation of the Espionage Act, um, obstruction of justice, and for removal or destruction of records. So the interesting one there, for me at least, is the Espionage Act. Can you tell us what that entails and if anyone has been convicted for violating the Espionage Act? Of course. So the Espionage Act was put into law uh, sort of in a bid to suppress dissent against the United States' support for World War I. Um, and that act prohibited obtaining or disclosing information related to national defense if it could be used at the expense of the United States or to the advantage of any foreign nation. Um, now, those that have been convicted under the Espionage Act, there's going to be some familiar names to our listeners who kept track of history's mysteries. Um, that would be Aldrich Ames. Hey, that's old. Yeah, that's one of the first ones, that's right? One of the first ones, yeah. Uh, Robert Hansen. Hey, I um, remember him too. And then Julius and Ethel Rosenberg. Those are all... We looked, Yeah, we looked up all their stuff at the... What's it called? The archives. Yes, uh, which is one of our favorite. And, and glad you fun. brought up the archives because a lot of this has to do with the National Archives wanting to get some documents back. Um, of course. But more recently... Uh, people that have been convicted under the Espionage Act are uh, Chelsea Manning and Reality Winner. And so those were two individuals who released to journalists highly classified information, and that stuff was broadcast out. Do you think Trump can be convicted for violating this act with what you know so far? And then the much bigger question is, will he be convicted? Because won't that set a precedent for both sides of the aisle that, you are spot <laughs> you know? on yeah so right now and, they think they're making an example of him but this r- could you know just further inflame his supporters exactly and... now you are you are spot on you're saying everything that we are about to get into and oh, i love I'm it sorry no i All love right, okay. it okay. um okay. because I didn't know that's what you i also like the the fact that we're gonna break those into two categories because can Someone be convicted is one thing. Will that person be convicted with what we already know? This is a totally different thing. Yeah, with the justice system and all the big players involved. And money is power and and power rules all. Um, And we're poor. Right. We are very poor. But (laughs) I'm going to try to answer both of those questions 
to the best of my knowledge. Um, I'm not going to be putting opinions out there. It's everything that I know. If you know something more, I'd love to see it. I'd love to read it and dive deeper into that. But I'm not going to get into the politics of it. Now, there is a there's 100% a political discussion to be had. Um, and we're going to avoid that because political discussions cloud the facts in every situation. Yeah. So first... Because it's one party or the other trying to get their... And- and depending on how you feel as a as an individual, whether you uh, identify as a Democrat or a Republican, a Libertarian, a Green Party, your uh, your worldview can skew yeah. what the facts actually state, and and that is no. I'm not saying that's wrong for people to do. I'm just saying that's a, that's what happens. We have this. Yeah, same thing happens to us too. So. Yes. Um, now let's go. Can Trump be convicted under the Eps- uh, the Espionage Act, and the answer to that is absolutely. Um, if he were to have classified nuclear documents, and there were those fruits of crime paper trail that he intended to sell or disclose those documents to a foreign country, he can, and I will say, should be convicted. Um, so the more interesting question, of course, is will he be convicted? Now that one is tough to answer because you know we're dealing yeah. with a former president. That's one thing. We're dealing with classified documents that cannot be released to the public in the first place. Yeah. That's number two. And we are dealing with a deteriorating political climate in this country. Um, No one's going to argue what I'm about to say. Trump is a polarizing figure. I think we can all agree on that. Um, If you support the former president, the view is this is a terrible precedence set by a federal agency run by ideologues hell-bent on convicting the man. Um, If you do not support the former president, the view is this is a moment of reckoning uh, for that man, and he should start preparing for his time in prison. And what about those in the middle? Well, see, that's what is so fascinating about this time in politics and the man Donald J. Trump. There aren't too many people who fall in the middle. When it comes to him. When it comes to him, yes. I'm I'm not talking about the political parties. Yeah, I'm talking about him as as a former president and and as a man. Um, he's definitely one of those you either love him or you hate him kind of guys. Um, either a person doesn't gonna, care where. Oh no, <laughs> he doesn't care he where doesn't he care. lands. He doesn't care about you. He just he, wants the anybody. attention, right? And um, and, and so you've got the two factions. You're gonna have a person who's gonna defend everything he says, um, yeah. or you're gonna have the person that attacks everything he says. Um, and so that's why it's becoming so difficult to prosecute Donald J. Trump. You know, we've had multiple um, courts that have asked him to come in and you know, stand trial and stuff. His releases taxes, and, and none of this has yeah. come to fruition. And now we can't forget if you if you hate the man and you think you hate every person that voted for him. There's 74 million people in this country in the last election alone that voted for Donald J. Trump. Um, and those people will staunchly defend him against all these actions. Yeah. So is he going to be convicted? Now, I do not have the answer right now. Um, so current history says no. Uh, but I'm also going to say that without a conviction, the FBI has given Trump his golden ticket to the Republican presidential nomination. Absolutely. The already uh, polls out this week have stated that uh, he has gained four to five percentage points from the 2020 election. That puts him at He's been martyred, basically, Correct. in their eyes. 
And we could have a whole discussion on, you know, religions using martyrdom uh, to promote their uh, religious ideologies and and politicians are doing it all the time. Um, yes, that's why I want that's why I wanted to talk about this and I wanted to follow the situation closely in regards to geopolitics, because Mm -hmm. uh, 2024 could be a turning point in this country, Um, but not just this country, the entire globe. Yikes. Now, um, with all that already in World War three. Right. Um, And and so all that all that said, uh, we're going to keep following. But I want I do want to talk about what was released to the public. So this is what the FBI released to the public that they seized. Um, they disclosed that Trump had multiple documents classified at a TSSCI level. Can you explain what a TSSCI level means and why it's important? Okay, so the TS stands for top secret, which, I mean, I'm sure everybody listening knows that. Uh, but SCI is sensitive car- compartmented information. Um, which is sort of a higher level than secret. It, it, I mean, than top secret. It's, it's still top secret, but um, you know, when gaining a clearance, you can have a top secret clearance and still not have access to all top secret information. Um, yeah. So in intelligence lingo, we have what is called uh, need to know. Um, the the need to know is a caveat put in in order for you to access some information that you must have the knowledge to know. Um, now that SCI caveat would give you need to know for some information. Then, even at that level, which is really high up in, in the intelligence community, you're not even afforded access to even higher classified information. And then you have to obtain what's called read-ons, which are exactly what they sound like. You sit in a room and you get what we call read-on to the information, why it's important, uh, why it's important not to disclose it, and then you sign an agreement to not disclose the information to those without need to know. Then I guess the big question is, can a president declassify a document that is TSSCI? All right. So, like I said, we're going to deal in facts, okay? not in just you know random conspiracy theories. The president of the United States does have constitutional authority to declassify information. Um, is there precedence for this? Yes. In 2004, uh, after questions on if George W. Bush had received intelligence that Osama bin Laden was determined to strike inside the U.S., uh, then-President George W. Bush declassified a portion of his presidential daily intelligence briefing from August 2001, which was a month before the September 11th attacks. However, uh, and normally... Presidents who want something declassified go through the department or agency that classified the document to receive approval. Um, Now, some are arguing that the classification of documents is not the issue here, uh, which throws that, you know, out the water. Uh, They're saying that the documents held by Mr. Trump could do great harm to national security, regardless of their classification, if they were released. Um, Now, as this is one of those unprecedented historical events that we hate living in, um, it is going to be years before this is resolved. Um, and since that's the case, hey, it looks like we're going to keep going for years so we can keep updating everybody on that information. <laughs> You're welcome, Tiana. Oh, thank you. I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> it, 
Is there anything else for this week? No, we are definitely out of time for this week. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Okay. Well, as always, if you like this show, please try to tell at least one person about us. We can be found wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have a moment, head over to Apple or Spotify Podcasts and give us a review because those help us get noticed by thousands of podcast listeners globally. And as always, if you would like in-depth coverage of these stories and more, please subscribe to our community at oakwoodanalytics.com. Tiana, thank you so much. And until next week, stay safe out there.